So we're continuing with our series called Eight Essential Elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel Series. And we've been going through the eight elements that are listed in Roman numeral one. This is the 73rd lesson in this series. And last week we finished element number six. So we only have seven and eight to go. So I decided I would do hopefully only three weeks. Hopefully it won't, or maybe four, but hopefully it won't become uh, six weeks or anything. I decided I'm going to do a review of what we've covered so far. I forgot to take my phone out of my pocket. Hopefully it's off. And um, I'm also going to make this kind of a eight essential elements of the biblical Christian gospel condensed series or mini series. And uh, those of you who share the gospel on Wright State and Cedarville and Ponitz campuses with people, might want to use this as a resource when you're uh, the shortened version when you're leading people to Christ. So um, the uh, the eight essential elements we started with zero like computer guy geeks do uh, is just the intro, and then we number one is the attributes of God. Number two is the attributes of man. Number three, the Ten Commandments. Number four, the historical narratives of Israel and the warnings of eternal judgment day. Number, kind of grouping two things under one theme there. Number five is Jesus Christ, the only mediator or bridge or solution. Number six, what we just finished receiving Jesus Christ, and then we're doing this review before number seven, the first five steps in the kingdom of Christ, looking at the pattern in the book of Acts of the five steps all beginning Christians took. And uh, then number eight, how to mature in Jesus Christ, growing in grace. And so um, I want to start by saying, why would anybody present a series this long on the gospel? And I want to differentiate two things. Uh, Number one, I probably would never present a series this long on the gospel to someone you're leading to Christ. But we have kind of come to think of the gospel as something to lead people into a sinner's prayer or a starting point in the Christian faith, and then you just grow by uh, all these disciplines and works and performance-based things. But the gospel is for Christians. The gospel is for every day. Every day we need to reposition our, our thinking, our heart, reposition ourselves in Christ by the grace of God according to the gospel. Because the Christian life is not difficult, it's impossible. And uh, with God, all things are possible. And so unless you're walking in the power of his resurrection by the power of his spirit, uh, in, in a grace-based way of relating to God, you cannot even hope to bring forth anything but dead works. And... Um, your flesh will show you quite, quite uh, quickly how, uh, how strong it, it can be apart from crucifying it in Christ. So the reason for this long series is the gospel is for Christians, and we should be actually meditating on all the parts of the gospel, all of our Christian walk. There's no destination in the Christian life except Christ, and so it's about loving the journey. 
And the journey has to be uh, based on a road that's, that's called the gospel all the time. So that's kind of why I'm helping you with, uh, you know, we've done, in, especially in uh, elements five and six, we did a lot of biblical vocabulary. So as you encounter various words in scripture, you kind of know how to think more biblically about them. So um, Galatians 2.20 Paul kind of gives us a very good verse for, uh, for our posture every day. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And you might even say Christ lives through me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, or the, there's two Greek words, soma and sarx, for flesh. This one really means the life I live in this body not in my sin nature. He's not referring to the sin nature sometimes called the flesh. He's talking about his human body. The, the life I live in this tent, uh, this, this human body, I live by faith. That, that is trusting in, clinging to, relying on, uh, empowered by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Now, when Paul uses the law in this way, he's talking about using it unlawfully, actually, the way the Jews had, had used it, the way they were never intended to use it, and that is by a performance-based trying, seeking out of your own strength and your own resources to muster up the, the ability to do the law. So he's saying, if you're not walking in the power of his resurrection, if you're not crucifying the flesh and, and living by trusting and clinging to and being empowered by Christ, that you're nullifying the grace of God. That you're, you're back to trying to perform righteousness by the performance of the law. That's how he's using it in that sentence. And so... We Christians have to remind ourselves to walk in the grace and power of God every day. I can't just decide by, by the power of Greg's will and, and memorizing some verses and fasting a little bit or whatever I think might get me some momentum that I'm going to have a particularly righteous day today. And in and of myself, that would just, I'm defeated before I started because there's nothing good that dwells in me apart from Christ. So I'm starting off just on the wrong road to begin with. And I'm living, you know, that's why Hebrews lays six foundations of the Christian faith in, the, in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. And the first one is actually repentance from dead works. Dead works are those that grow out of our own strength, our own initiative, our own natural nature. And they're not empowered by faith in Christ. Faith is not, a, I use the word empowered, trusting in, clinging to, relying on it. I'm trying to help us, uh, Grudem has a nice section on this in his systematic theology. I'm trying to help us get past what we've done is we've made faith some, somewhat of an abstract intellectual concept where I believe the right ideas or doctrines. But biblical faith is relational and it, it's a flow of the Spirit. Biblical faith comes out of living at, seated at the right hand of, of Christ and living out of the power of his resurrection by his Holy Spirit. So 
that's why we have a series this long. Now, um, exploring the depths of Christ and the wonders of his grace are, is our lifelong journey. Ephesians 2.7 brings it in past this life into eternal life and the ages to come. It says, so that in the ages to come, he might show us the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know, you'll be growing in grace and your understanding of grace for all eternity. Your thankfulness level will be, will be constantly on the rise. Forever, unlimited, ad infinitum. It's pretty awesome, right? <laughs> um, Romans 11, 33 through 36. Let, let's think about the context before I read this verse. This is the close of Romans chapter 11. So in Romans, there's a fourfold structure. Romans 1 through 4 is, is Paul's first metaphysical, this is the reality of what the universe is all about, presentation of the gospel. The gospel is, is, the, is the true understanding of all of who God is, man, the nature of man, man's fallenness, sin, redemption, everything. And he presents uh, the first case for that in Romans 1 through 4. Then he presents it from another perspective in Romans 5 through 8. Then he presents it in terms of its implications for the new people of God, the church, and the former people of God, Israel, in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Then he concludes his arguments with these verses. In Romans 12 through 16, he basically says, Therefore, as a result of all the things I just, the three great gospel presentations I've just given you, this is how you should live. Your, your life should be a reasonable sacrifice. You Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and so forth. And then he gets right into how, how the Christian lives as a result of the gospel. So his conclusion of when he's done, he, he's, he breaks into worship, realizing that you know he's been empowered, by, enabled by the Spirit to write scripture here. He, he totally understands what's going on here. And he's just given the greatest uh, treatise on the nature of, of reality that's ever been written. Uh, theologians, uh, you know, the Reformation broke out because several, uh, several teachers throughout France, England, uh, what's today Germany, and so forth, were teaching series on Romans. And uh, so he goes, Oh, the depth and the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable, I think King James says unscrutable, inscrutable meaning it's beyond, you could search it out for your whole life and you won't, just, won't be past scratching the surface. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has not known the mind of the Lord, notice the small caps meaning it's a quote, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Amen. Pretty good doxology, wouldn't you say? Uh, you know, that's, he just gets caught up in, in worship when he understands, like, this is the true reality of the grace of God. So... You know, the reason we're doing a, a series that's going to be 
somewhere between 100 and 125 parts when we're done is because you'll, you know, you'll, you can use that as a basis to study the gospel your whole life. Now, uh, for Christians, point B, those of you especially who consider, well, I, w- I want to be used of God to lead people to Christ. I want to bear fruit. We have quite a few people in our church that have really set their hearts to doing that and are doing the memorization of scripture and the studying and walking humble and broken and holy and reaching out and trying to take this person or the other person under their wing and trying to uh, trying to work with them. But we've got some at Ponitz, some at Cedarville, some at Wright State that are doing these things and and hopefully other venues. So uh, one of the things we need to understand is both lifestyle evangelism and proclamation evangelism are necessary. Now let's make sure we understand what we mean by this. Many times uh, our flesh, our sinful nature, has its own doctrines. Your sinful nature is preaching to you all the time. And he's a great preacher, better than any preacher I you know, better than Dwight Moody or John Chrysostom or whoever you want to compare it to. Your, your flesh is a great preacher, and your flesh has ideas that are contrary to the truth of God. And your flesh wants to tell you these ideas all the day long. And if, you're, if you have ears to hear, he'll give you an earful. So uh, one of the doctrines of the flesh is that oh, we don't need to go out sharing the gospel with perfect strangers or something like that because we just need to live our life in such a way that they ask us, wow, you're, you're the most together uh, worker at Arby's I've ever met or, or pizza delivery guy or you know, pizza manager or you're, 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 you're not like the cable guy, that's the famous cable guy on TV. You're a godly cable guy. Take me to your leader. Well, the problem is, uh, <laughs> tell me all about your God. And uh, the problem is um, that sometimes happens. And certainly our lifestyle needs to back up our witness. But the scriptures are full of admonitions to go and proclaim and witness. It's as simple as that. Uh, your flesh will try to tell you, no, we don't need to do that. Because your flesh wants to fear man, and your flesh wants to stay natural-minded. One of the most amazing things you'll ever experience is when you just set about to go out and share the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit you'll experience in those encounters is just amazing. So... Um, in uh, I love I love the verse Acts thirteen forty eight and forty nine when it says when the Gentiles heard this, this is Paul uh, on his first missionary journey, and he's just proclaimed the gospel and uh, for two weeks and the the uh, um, Gentiles or some of the the Jews in the synagogue had rejected this. He's going to the marketplaces and so forth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as have been appointed to eternal life believed, and the Lord of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. Now, if you know anything about the, the controversy in the 4th century between Augustine and Pelagius, and the church declaring Pelagius was uh, a heretic, Pelagius was a believer who believed that um, 
man still has goodness in him despite the fall, and therefore man can aid in saving himself by his works and his performance. He didn't believe that man's, uh, as we taught recently, that man's depravity was total. And that man's depravity was first and foremost to run from the presence of God, to suppress the truth and unrighteousness, uh, and, and, to re- and to resist. You know, one of the things that was very clear to me after I became a Christian is that I had spent the last six or seven years working very hard internally and in my mind and in my heart and so forth to avoid becoming a Christian. And so did you. So, and um, the, the truth of the matter is, is that those who believe in the Augustinian view, which is sometimes associated with the same controversy that erupted in the uh, 16th century, uh, 16th, spilling over to 17th century, between Calvin and Arminius, those who believe that, that God foreknows, predestines, and chooses... And that only that, that those who believe that Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Those who believe that should be the most evangelistically active people in the world because God has many people in this city. As he said to Paul, keep on sharing the message of this life because I have many people in this city. Right, and it's amazing to me that people uh, often, people who have what's called the Reform position or the Calvinistic position, which is really uh, the Augustan, uh, Augustinian position. Uh, some people say the 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 uh, Reformation, in essence, was the return to and the triumph of Augustine's uh, soteriology or his doctrines of salvation, which are really Paul's doctrines of salvation, and the other New Testament writers. And so, um, those who believe that should actually be all the more evangelistically active. Because God will do what he will do, and Jesus made it clear that he came to seek and to save the lost. And he has chosen to show his greater glory by seeking and saving them through your proclaiming the gospel. Because if he just did it direct, it would be less impressive than if he used sinful guys like me and you. People who have sometimes share out of the wrong attitude or the wrong motivation or aren't as gracious and patient as maybe we ought to be or whatever, and yet he still is pleased to, to bring about fruit because the word itself bears fruit. It's the seed implanted which is able to save our souls, as Peter calls it. So I I hope we get this. The reason we're doing this series is, A, for Christians, but uh, I'm partly doing this mini-series as a resource for for us to use. Uh, You want to be able to present these things to anyone who asks, and you want to go up and ask people if they'll... Sit down and let you present them to them. You know, when we go out sharing the gospel, we simply say that we're from Grace Christian Fellowship or Rock Campus Fellowship, depending on the venue. And we basically say, uh, could we take a few minutes to explain to you the Christian life? And we share the gospel with them. 
Now, one of the things you need uh, to understand as we do this series is the concept of being pre-evangelized or not. So one of the things that you'll notice is a lot of gospel presentations that were used from, say, the 1860s and up even till today are the four this and the five that and the three this and the four that and the six principles of that and so forth. <clears throat> the problem is most of those are designed for those who are already pre-evangelized. So you want to be equipped to be, a, what I mean by pre-evangelized is that's why, one of the reasons, among many, God always takes his new movement out of his former movement. Right? There's always a remnant that comes forward. The church grew out of Israel. But not all Israel went with, you know, went with the message of Christ. Most and many rejected it. You know, all through the scriptures we see, you know, when Ezra and Nehemiah gave the call to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and so forth, the estimates are about 3% of Jews heeded that call. God always takes what he's doing out of his old people. If you just even look at, at our church, our church, uh, the majority of people in our church, with one or two exceptions that I can think of, were pre-evangelized. They at least already had some exposure to there was a Bible, there's a Trinity, there's uh, Jesus died for their sins. Uh, they, they, they knew in their, at least in their head a few things about the gospel. Now, some of the difficulty in our day is often people uh, think they're in a much better place with the things of the Lord than they actually are. And so they need kind of adjusted in, in, a, in the fullness of the real gospel. You know, we've had a lot of people come here who are clearly either partially converted, some kind of deformity in their conversion, uh, in many cases, uh, false convert altogether. You know, uh, thinking I can, I can lead Bible studies even while I'm you know, living with someone I'm not married to and doing drugs or, you know, and, and working part-time at night, uh, breaking into houses <laughs> and stealing. <laughs> I mean, we've, we've had it all. And, uh, uh, and yet I'm a really good Christian because I prayed the sinner's prayer when I was eight and I got baptized and I've even led Bible studies. Uh, <laughs> I lead a Bible study for a group of guys who are work on stealing no, I'm just kidding. No, it hasn't been that bad, usually. Um, <laughs> so, um, what I mean by pre-evangelize is when Paul and them, they always went to the synagogue first, and the synagogue was filled, as you know, with three kinds of people. Jews who were practicing their faith, born, you know, biologically born descendants of Israel. Uh, Greeks, or, or that is uh, the, the 17 or 18 different nations that are named in the book of Acts. There's 17 total in Acts 2. So, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that was all the nations that were in the Roman Empire. But the various nations that made up the Roman Empire, uh, in, in the 200 years before Christ, more and more Gentiles were converting to Judaism because uh, the humanistic philosophies of Stoic, Stoic, the Stoics and the Epicureans and so forth were clearly bankrupt. 
And so uh, there were lots of uh, Hellenized Jews. And then finally, uh, there were God-fearers, people like Cornelius and the centurion in the Gospels, who it would have been too politically uh, costly to convert, but they believed in the God of Israel and attended and supported the synagogue. So all of those people were pre-evangelized. They believed in one God. They believed in the law of God. They believed some biblical things about man's uh, sinful nature. And so forth. They believed in it, that there would be a Messiah. And so they're now hearing that this Messiah you've been waiting for has come. Likewise, today, you'll meet people who have been pre-evangelized. And it's kind of a judgment call whether their Christian upbringing has hurt them or helped them more. But you want to take what parts are correct and build on that. So as you go through these, um, uh, this series, understand that, first of all, you have to be talking about the first thing we're going to review today is the attributes of God. So one of the things you have to find out when you're talking with people and working with them, what is their conception of God in their mind and their heart? You know, I talked to her this morning, bumper stickers. Um, you know, Yoda, uh, some non-personal energy force, some Eastern thing. Uh, what is the perception of God in their mind and heart? So, we, uh, my wife and I had a fun night one night sharing with a, a girl who'd grown up in Morocco, but her, uh, her parents were Indian, from India by, by descent, and so her parents were Hindu, and she was this kind of mixture of a little bit of Hinduism and a lot of Western secular humanism in her beliefs, and, you know, got down to the things she disliked about Christianity she had actually had a, uh, a roommate that was from Campus Crusade for Christ, and they had had many discussions about Christ over the last year or two. She goes, the thing I don't like about your religion is the idea of forgiveness. You have this idea that God will forgive people of their sins, and I want people to pay for their sins. I like the idea of karma. I like the idea that you can't escape from the consequences of your sins ever. She was very clear about that. And as we got deeper into it, she had a certain number of root, roots of bitterness and unforgiveness toward certain individuals. And she didn't like the idea that, she, uh, that they could be forgiven by God and that if she were to follow Christ, she would need to forgive them. And she wasn't about to become a Christian because of that one idea of forgiveness. So... Um, you, you will get some, uh, unfortunately, some people who will compare Peter's gospel presentation. If you look at, I'm at uh, letter C, about three quarters of the way down the first page. Peter's gospel presentation in Acts 2, 5 through 40, with Paul's gospel presentation at Athens in Acts 17, 16 through 34. Peter is speaking to all pre-evangelized uh, Jews and, uh, and Hellenistic Jews, that is, converted to Judaism. 
Paul is speaking to all Gentiles who are Stoics and Epicureans and follow various humanistic philosophies of Greece. Okay? And so you'll actually get people to say, see, look at the... Uh, Paul had some people at the end of his speech say, we want to hear you further about this. He's the preacher of strange deities. It's usually translated, but the Greek is actually strange demons. <laughs> this guy's preaching some strange demons. That we're, we know a lot about different demons, but this is the demons we haven't heard about. <laughs> That's what he, they basically were you know, saying at the end of his message. Whereas Peter had 3,000 converts. And you'll get people naively not understand the difference of the audience who will say, see, Peter's method is how we should preach the gospel. Well, the problem is Peter wasn't preaching to the same audience as Paul was in this case. And, yet, and both of them preached the right message for the right audience that they had. So one of the things that I always do is I always ask certain diagnostic questions of the person. I get them talking about their faith and what they believe for quite a while before I share anything. Because I want to know what their beliefs are and how by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit using uh, hundreds of memorized scriptures to open their eyes to the truth. So that's why this long series. Um, you've got to know where people are, like the people in Jerusalem, like the people in Athens, or, or somewhere in between. And most Americans are somewhere in between. Most people who are from other countries, that really varies. You've got to draw them out. Depends on how... Uh, you know, I have, I have talked to several people who are fairly new in this country from communist China who'd never even heard of Christianity at all. Okay, so it depends on what part of the world they're from. And so, and even if you don't know enough about, the, you know, that only 1% or so are, are uh, Christian in Japan, maybe 3 or 4% are Christian in Taiwan, or you don't know facts like that, that the gospel's exploding in China, but even with 30,000 converts a day it's still way less than 20 percent of the population probably less than 10 percent still and many many chinese uh, mainland chinese people have never heard the name of christ so even if you don't know stuff like that you can draw them out about what they do know and what they believe before you share with them find out if they're pre-evangelized and build on what they may know or not know about the one true god now um you know, Anvesh and I shared with one of his Indian friends, and uh, we we went right, after I talked with him for a while, I went right to Matthew 16, and I read him the portion where Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And then he turns and says, well, who, does, uh, who do you say that I am? And I said, if we're going to do a Bible study together, we're going to study who Jesus Christ is, because it all falls or rises on who you think Jesus Christ is. And uh, unfortunately, he decided, after our talk, he said, you know, I'm actually a nominal Hindu. I've never actually studied my faith. So I think before I study Christianity, I'll actually learn what Hindus really, <laughs> really believe. I said, well, that was grapefruit. But uh, <laughs> so he decided to study Bala for a while. Um, what was it? Bava. Bava. Okay. So... Uh, Whatever. And I was like, okay. 
What a great idea. I offered to study Baba with him, but he didn't want to. Uh, so I thought I could use that as a segue, segue to preach Christ. All right, now, some things, uh, moving down to point D, some GC, GCF methodologies or approaches to, to proclaiming or sharing the gospel. One is the whole concept of planting, watering, preparing, and cultivating the soil. A lot of gospel presentations are designed to get someone to pray with you or get a decision today. You know, um, which is just taking American sales techniques and adding them to Christianity. You know, if you're a used car salesman, they tell you, they train you. If that guy walks away at the end of the presentation, your, your chances of getting that sale just went down by like 85%. That's why I never buy anything until, until I've seen it two or three times and cross, you know, I, I shop and shop. I car, use car salesmen, they, I, don't bother talking to that guy. He's going to consider 100 cars before he buys one. They want someone they can take to the cash register right now. And unfortunately, that has spilled over into our evangelism techniques, which is really a lack of faith in the sovereignty of God. Jesus has many people in this city, and of all those the Father gave him, he lost not one. God has appointed you to lead some people to Christ. And if you sow the seed of God's word accurately, consistently, water it, plant it, cultivate it, weed, and so forth, it will bear fruit in God's time, but a seed doesn't bear fruit instantaneously. And I have never prayed with someone to receive Christ the first time I've talked to them that it's turned out well for that person. If they can re pray to receive Christ the first time they hear the message you're saying, they're extremely shallow people or you just gave an extremely shallow message. Because you're asking them to, to die to their entire way of life and become a completely new person with new motives, attitudes, values, priorities, new people, new family, new everything. And what we have today is millions of Christians living more in the wasteland of between, the, between kingdoms than actually in the kingdom of God. That's why their life is so frustrating. So... Jesus says it this way in Matthew 13. Remember the four types of soil, which are the four types of human hearts. And the one type immediately received it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself. Anyone who could immediately receive the message with joy, it's not penetrated very far. Now, there are times when they've been pre-evangelized by other people and other circumstances and so forth, but even then, I usually set up a, a meeting. And frankly, I don't put, uh, you know, uh, I often will pray the sinner's prayer over a period of six months of Bible studies with people five, six, seven times. <laughs> because, you know, I want the gospel to sink in deep and build deep roots. And I'm not all about, like, instant mashed potatoes. Instant mashed potatoes really are terrible. I had somebody tell me at Ponets that they liked them the other day, and I was like, what? <laughs> was that you? Somebody liked them. I was like, instant mashed potatoes. I was like, holy cow. 
Uh, inst- has anyone ever had instant coffee? If don't ever tell Stephen Leopold that you like instant coffee. He'll he'll probably break down and cry. But uh, <laughs> he'll have you come over for some uh, beans that he's gr- he'll grind on the spot and make you with a French press. And uh, you know, instant everything is terrible. That's part of you know, like that's part of what our culture is all about. You know, is in- instant intimacy. Instant intimacy is not good. Not even with God. You know, Jesus said at the end of his ministry to the disciples, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Now, after three and a half years of walking with me, now you're starting to know what your master is all about. He has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when, not if, when... Because the word of God itself will bring the spiritual warfare. Remember the one kind that the seed fell by the soil and the birds of the air came and devoured? The birds of the air, they follow the seed around. They like seed. They would love that person to become a religious person of some sort, as long as it's not uh, that they come to know Christ. They would be very happy for them to become any number of cults or false religions. When affliction or persecution arises because of the words. Notice that phrase, because of the word. It's the word itself that brings the persecution and the affliction. What? I think you're taking this Jesus stuff way too far. Anybody ever heard that? I've heard that from some allegedly pretty committed Christians. You're taking this Jesus stuff way too far. He immediately falls away. If you can immediately get them to receive it with joy, they'll immediately fall away. You you really want to have faith in the word of God and plan it so that they'll walk with God for a lifetime. And that's really normal in reality. I I can honestly say, by the grace of God, because I started thinking about these ideas in 1974, um, I know of very few people who I've ever led to Christ that aren't walking with God still today. I'm, I'm not aware of very many. Maybe a couple. Right now I'm searching my memory banks and I can only think of one. So... Um, if you want to get after this idea more, there's a book recommendation there, Grounded in the Gospel, Building Believers the Old-Fashioned Way. It's the reason we have our catechism mini-series. It's the reason that we have gospel-centered catechism as a way of life in Grace Christian Fellowship with theology classes that are gospel-centered. You're, you know, when you go through the theology class, you're going to be studying the a first section on the authority of God's word, the second section on the attributes of God, the third section on the attributes of Christ. You're going to be going down this eight essentials list pretty much. So second idea I want to get through is here. It's net fishing versus pole fishing. Looks like this uh, review is not going well. Uh, Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Now, I know there are proclamation efforts where thousands of people come to Christ and so forth. Um, 
and I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I'm saying I'm a pole fisher. And whatever you, however you want to look at it, uh, those who come forward in mass evangelism sometimes really do get converted, but the, you still got to clean the fish. You know, normally what has ha actually happened is if, if something's happened, a gospel seed has gotten in there, but you're going to have to help grow that gospel seed thereafter. Now, lastly, on that uh, part of reviewing the review of element zero, uh, this, this is I'm reviewing the uh, two or three or four week introduction that we did. I'm at least getting through that one time. One time. We have podcast classes, books, outlines, and other diagnostic uh, concepts uh, to help you, like the five vital signs of life and the five first steps of entering the kingdom of God and the EPDC evangelistic proclamation discipleship continuum. If you don't know those concepts, get with Stephen or someone who can, can help you know those concepts because you, just like a doctor, you need tools to diagnose where people are at. And you should use those tools to diagnose where people are at so you know how to bring them forward. Because again, it's not one-time encounters. It's, it's having children. You, you don't just have children all, hopefully all over the place that you don't even know how they're doing or where they are or, you know, who is their father or, you know, whatever. You, you know, hopefully you have children that you are raising in a family of families in the church. Hopefully you have children that are being nurtured and taught and cared for and discipled and grown up. If people are born again, they come in needing diapers and milk. They, they come in messy and, and hopefully hungry, for, and, and they're going to feed on something. Hopefully it's on the, the gospel. Well, it looks like the best way of going about this will be to, uh, I will probably seg do one more point and we'll segue into, that's kind of a review of element zero. Next, so next week what I'm going to do is review the attributes of God for one week and hopefully I can rework the outline and review the attributes of God with the characteristics of man because I'm really hoping not to do a full week on each element, like I just did a full week on element zero. Uh, although we took three or four weeks to go through it originally. So um, the thing I want to point out when we start talking about the attributes of God as a segue into next week is all men know in their heart there is a God, even atheists. The word atheism itself means against God, and agnosticism means against knowledge. And an atheist is someone who's fighting hard not to acknowledge God. He's suppressing the truth of God within them. Every man is, is made with a witness of God in the creation, Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of God. A witness of God inside themselves. And they are doing what Paul describes in Romans 1, suppressing the truth of God and unrighteousness. Every one of us was doing that before God was awakened. Even the lots of Christians who want to say, well, I can have little Jesus sayings and Jesus bumper stickers and stuff, but I don't have to really, like, as long as, and I can even go to church, as long as I don't really have to, like, give up my drunkenness or my pornography 
or actually start like seeking the grace of God and growing in the Lord. As long as I can have God on my terms, I'm, I'm okay with that. See, many so-called Christians are still running from the truth and suppressing the truth of God because the truth of God is according to righteousness. And if it's not producing some sort of righteousness, you haven't really received the truth yet. So we'll start with, uh, you know, Psalm 14 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Um, and Paul quotes that in Romans 3, 10 through 12. Psalm 53 also quotes that. All fallen men are running from God. They are doing exactly what Adam did in Genesis 3. Adam clothed himself with vines to try to hide the shame of his nakedness because nakedness is a... You know, not something to be vaunted all over the place like it is in modern times. Nakedness is a universal symbol of shame. And what happens is people get to a level of so hardened of heart that they want to express their shame all over the place. Dress provocatively and whatever. Uh, sad. It's, it's, it's a very sad state to have your heart that hard that you kind of enjoy just having nakedness everywhere. That's like our culture does. Um, so nakedness is a universal symbol of shame. Adam tried to hide his own nakedness instead of letting God cover it. And he tried to hide from the presence of God. And all men are doing that until the grace of God recreates them to become a seeker and a lover of God. Amen.